0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever get discouraged as you look at this world? Perhaps it's easy to get discouraged. Look around you and you see a world in decay. Nature often is in decay. Humanity is going through moral decay. And One thing this world needs is renewal. It needs new life. Again, for creation, for humans. And this is also why Pentecost is such an important event in world history. Ten days after His ascension on Pentecost Sunday, our Lord Jesus, He poured out the Holy Spirit onto the church. And what does the coming of the Holy Spirit mean for us as God's people? What does it mean? One thing it certainly means is that the Holy Spirit is life. The Holy Spirit brings new life with him. The Spirit means new life for people stuck in the grip of sin. The Holy Spirit means new life for a world groaning under the curse. And that's because, this is because the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. And you see that throughout the Bible. Just think of the beginning of creation in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters, preparing it for life. You see it also in our text this morning from Ezekiel 37. A valley is filled with dry bones, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Becomes a huge army of living soldiers. Now, perhaps this is not the most traditional Pentecost text. And yet, it's fitting because it describes so well what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives life. He gives life to God's people who need renewal. This was true for Old Testament Israel. This was true on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the Spirit was poured out. This is no less true for us sitting here today, for people who struggle with sin, for people who feel beat down and broken by life's troubles and trials, for people who left to themselves do not have eternal life. So, that brings us to the theme of the sermon this morning, God raises His devastated people from the dead by the power of His Word and Spirit. We have four points this morning. First of all, we'll look at a devastated people, second, a resurrecting God, third, a recreating Word, and finally, a life-giving Spirit. So, first of all, a devastated people. Now, Ezekiel prophesied during the exile to Babylon. In fact, Ezekiel lived in Babylon among the exiles near a river called the Kibar River. He lived among the exiles. And what a painful time it was for the people of Judah and the people of Israel. They suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the Babylonians. Most of the people were deported to Babylon The temple was destroyed, the kingship was in ruins, it seemed that God's promises had come to nothing. However, the people of Judah were suffering in exile because of their own sin. They rejected God continually, and so finally God punished them, as he said he would do in his covenant. They worshipped idols, they shed each other's blood, they defiled their neighbors' wives. And so the Lord proclaimed in Ezekiel 33, Thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste, the curses of the covenant had come down upon them. So the people of Judah, they felt absolutely devastated. And so in verse 11 of our text, we hear Israel crying out, describing their situation. Our, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. They were so devastated they fell into the depths of despair. They felt hopeless, helpless, and to put it bluntly, they felt as though they were as good as dead. And the feeling of Israel is summed up by this vision Ezekiel has in our text. So in his vision, the Spirit of Yahweh, he takes Ezekiel, he sets him down in the middle of a, of a large valley. And as Ezekiel looks around astonishingly, the entire valley, the ground is is covered with bones. And not just any bones, these were human bones. Fibias, tibias, femurs, ribs, clavicles, skulls, you name it. They were all there. There they were, scattered about, just lying there, completely lifeless, on the floor of this valley. It's a picture of mass destruction. It's like the scene after a huge battle where one army is left completely devastated and destroyed. And Ezekiel saw that these bones were very dry. means they'd been lying there for quite some time, and there was no life in them whatsoever. Completely dead deader than dead, we could say. And this vision gave a sense of the hopelessness that God's people felt. Their courage was crushed. Their energy was drained. Their resolve was broken. Their spirits were in despair. And they felt completely cut off from God, And from His goodness. You know what? That It's not just the way that Israel... uh, It wasn't just a problem for Israel at this time. God's people can feel this way more often. God sometimes disciplines His people for their sins, as He did uh, for Judah and Israel. And sometimes that's extremely painful... God tells us not to lose heart when he disciplines us. But in our weakness, we can be be tempted towards despair, feel like we're cut off from God. Not only that, but God, by his providence, sometimes he sends difficult things into our lives. Things that are really painful that we don't understand why he sends them. Things that leave us in fact, feeling devastated. You think only of Job, who lost nearly everything. Included all of his children. Included his very health. All his possessions. And there he sat on the ash heap, feeling like he was knocking on death's door. Without any life. And that can still happen today, too. We can go through those difficult experiences as individual believers. And we can go through those painful experiences as a church as well. And not only that, this valley of dry bones also pictures something else for us. It pictures the state of humans apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. You see, without Christ as our Savior... Humans have no life in them, no spiritual life. They might be physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. As Ephesians 2 says, humans by nature are dead in trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 2 goes on to say, by nature we are without hope, without God in the world. As much life as these bones uh, laying on the ground of this valley. So there's no power within us, in and of ourselves, also to help ourselves or change that miserable condition. Now, just as a dead man cannot give himself life again, so humans, apart from God, cannot give themselves life again. Instead, our only hope is in God. And that brings us to the second point. So as Ezekiel took a close look at all these bones lying on the ground, the Lord asked him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Perhaps it was a test of faith for Ezekiel. Does Ezekiel trust God's power to give his people new life? And his answer seems somewhat noncommittal. He says, O Lord God, you yourself know One thing from this vision was indeed clear. The Lord God was Israel's only hope. The Lord had brought them to their knees and even further, laid them in the dust. Israel was devastated by their own sin and God's judgment on their sin. We also have to understand this was necessary for Israel, it was necessary. It was a bitter medicine they needed to, to heal them, to shake them from their idolatry. You see, in their devastation, they were forced to turn to the Lord again. I mean, the Lord could say to his people, Where are your idols now, O Israel, that you wanted to serve? Can they help you now? Can they save you now? Can they give you life again? And the answer is obvious, no, they cannot. Lifeless idols cannot give anyone life. And the only person who can help these devastated people is the living God. So Israel's only hope was in the mercy of the Lord, the power of God, the God who raises the dead. And that raises an important question for us, too. You know, in what or in whom is our hope, our ultimate hope. And that goes for so many things in life. In whom do we trust for salvation? To whom do we look to grow as Christians? Whom do we trust for this church to grow in numbers and unity and faithfulness? Where is our hope in the face of the grave? And may the answer be in the Lord alone. You know, God's people at times may feel little hope. They might be devastated by their own sin or by God's mysterious providence. But God's people need never lose hope. And that's because our God, the Lord, He's the living God. He's the God who gives new life where there is none. And the Lord shows us in this text that He can build His church even in a situation where God's people feel completely disheartened and have lost all hope. It's because God is powerful no matter what. And this should not surprise us either. This is how God often works. Think only of Abraham, the father of all believers. He was very old, and his wife Sarah was very old, well past the age of childbearing, and yet God promised to give them a child, promised them descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. Now, humanly speaking, their prospects of having a child were beyond hope. In Romans 4, Paul describes Abraham's body as being as good as dead, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But Abraham had to trust God's power to give new life where there was none. He had to trust the resurrecting power of God. And by faith in that God... The promise was fulfilled, as Hebrews 11 says, Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. Abraham had to come to know the Lord as the God who raises the dead. And Israel had to come to know the Lord in the same way. Indeed, that was the the design of God in this vision. Look at verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. We today, too, we need to know God in the same way. And you know what? Often it takes going through difficult trials to fully know this in our hearts and to grasp it with our full minds. Now, well, this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, also confessed in 2 Corinthians 1. There he describes the difficult trial he went through, and he says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And that's true for us too today. It's true for us as individual believers. It's true for us as the church of Christ here in this place. We may go through difficult trials, but we need never lose hope. In those dark valleys, we look to God who raises his people up again. That brings us to our third point. So here in this vision, we see this valley of full of bones. God was going to raise his people from the dead, but how was he going to do that? Well, he could have resurrected them by a simple act of his will. However, in this passage, he chooses to raise them in a particular way. He's going to resurrect his people with his word, his word spoken through Ezekiel. And this is what the Lord says to Ezekiel in verse 4, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, when you think of what the Lord tells Ezekiel to do, I mean, humanly speaking, it looks completely silly. Why would anyone talk to a bunch of dead, dried-up bones lying on the ground? What difference is that going to make? But even though it's silly from a purely human perspective, the power of God changes everything. That's because the Word of God is powerful. And it's by that Word of God that God gives new life. We see this throughout Scripture. God's Word is His means of creation. It's His means of renewal. Again, think of Genesis 1. God spoke. And things came into being. It's the same thing here. God would recreate his people by means of his word. And you know, when you look at this, you can see that this vision follows the pattern of the creation of Adam in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, God created Adam using a two step process. First, he formed the man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Notice now this vision. Ezekiel begins to prophesy to these bones just as God commanded him. And as he speaks the word of God, something amazing happens. All these bones suddenly started to move. Tibias, amphibias, femurs, ribs, clavicles, skulls, you name it. They started to move and to bump into each other, and all these bones moving around created a a massive noise. There was a shaking, a quaking, a rumbling and a tumbling, a rattling and a clattering as all these bones just started moving forcefully. Ezekiel continued to prophesy, and these bones came together, forming the perfect human skeletons. Then sinews came upon them, then flesh filled them, then skin covered them. As we will see especially in a moment in the last point, Ezekiel had to prophesy again. As he prophesied to the wind or to the breath to fill these bodies so that they would live. So notice again how this picture matches God's creation of Adam in Genesis 2. And what was God telling his people by this? He's saying, I'm going to recreate you, my people. You may be dead in a way, but my word is powerful. I'm going to give you new life. I will make you a new people again. God's word still has that power today. And that's what we need to see as well. God still uses his word to recreate his people. It uses a message of the gospel to give us new life. See, why are we here right now, listening to this? And why am I preaching this sermon to you right now? What do we hope to that comes about by it? Well, by this preaching of God's word, a similar thing happens by God's grace to what happened in this valley of bones. God's people are being raised from the dead through the Word of God. That's what we are doing. As James 1, verse 17 says, By His own choice, God gave us new birth by the message of truth. Or 1 Peter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, given new life through the living and abiding Word of God. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. The Word of God has power. God is recreating us the preaching of the gospel. You know, some years ago, uh, when I was in seminary in o- Ontario, I had a summer job working at a machine shop. And I remember speaking to one particular man who was, well, let's just say, slightly ill-mannered. He's what I refer to as a steamroller. If he didn't like you, he let you know it. And if he had something to say, he said it no matter what. I remember telling him one coffee break that I was planning to become a minister. Well, he just looked at me and he said something to the effect of, let me tell you, if you're going to stand up there and tell people how to live their lives, then all I can say is good luck because you're going to need it. Now, there are multiple... Uh, wrong things with that statement. The first thing is that he implied that I was just some kind of life coach telling people how to live their lives better. And yes, the preaching of God's Word instructs us how to live in obedience to God. But it's so much more than that too. By the preaching of God's Word, people dead in sin are raised to new life. That's something that I as a preacher cannot do. And we don't believe in luck at all. Instead, we believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of His Word. And through that preaching, God's people are spiritually raised from the dead. Resurrection happens in church. Maybe some of the the children among us, maybe sometimes they find church to be a bit boring. You are sitting here listening to someone speak, and... Is it all that exciting? But understand, wonderful things happen in church. Whenever someone hears God's word and believes, God has raised that person from the dead, as he does in Ezekiel's vision. We must see it with the eyes of faith. That brings us to our last point. So, as Ezekiel prophesied, the bones came together, the bodies were formed. However, they were still not truly alive, there was no breath in them. So the Lord commanded Ezekiel again, prophesy to the breath, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So Ezekiel prophesied, and breath came into these bodies. They became fully alive. They stood up on their feet, and there before Ezekiel stood now where there once was all these bones, a massive army full of life an exceedingly great army. Literally, it says, a very, very great army. So God has raised his people again. They felt hopeless. Their hopes were renewed. They had been devastated, but God would build them up again. They would return to the promised land. As he proclaimed through Ezekiel, I will open your graves Raise you from your graves O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. See, God works hope where there is no hope, and he gives life where there is no life. And here is where we must go a step further. The restoration of Israel is pictured as a resurrection. Why is that the case? Well, God does this to show a similar saving work for his people. That he accomplishes throughout history. Just think of when Jesus Christ lived on Earth. as the Son of God, he had the power to raise the dead. In John 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus died and was buried, and four days later, Christ came to a pla- the place of his tomb. And by his power, Christ raised Lazarus from, again- from the, de- the grave. And how did he do that? He did it by speaking commanded the dead man, saying, Lazarus, come out. And he heard, and he came out. And this is also how God solves the problem of human sin. Israel, too, were born sinners spiritually dead in themselves. That's our biggest problem, too, by nature. We're dead in ourselves. And that is why Pentecost is so wonderful. The Holy Spirit gives new life. It's interesting to know that the word breath in our text also means word or spirit. It's the same word. And so with this vision, we have a description of the work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit gives us new life. You see, the word of God, it will not be effective without the working of the Holy Spirit. Think of the effect of God's word before and after Pentecost. Before Pentecost, what do we so often see in Israel's history? So often they rejected the word of the Lord, refused to turn to God. What do we see after the Spirit is poured out? We see the word of God becoming effective to bring new life. As Peter preached to the crowds, the Spirit pierced through the hardness of the people's hearts using the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. As people came to Christ in faith, they found eternal life. And so do you as you come to Christ in faith, eternal life in him. As Ephesians 1 says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen also to 1 Peter 1 verse 3. According to God's great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what we have in Christ, beloved. So now, as believers, we can look forward to when Christ will return. He will give the command, and the dead in Christ will be raised, and we will have eternal life in God's presence forever. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 47, stanzas 1, 2, and 5.